really good to be a pastor. And last Sunday night, Dave Nave got and sang this incredible song. I think it was really good. He did a really good job on it. And Terry Guest kind of set up from the audience and said, I'm glad I'm not a preacher and have to follow that. And I said, you want to give it a shot? <laughs> well, there's the flip side of that. See, here's the deal. I can fall flat on my face today, and you're already going to be glad you came to church. Because that ain't bless you. Ain't nothing going to bless you. Amen. Not the video, the song. And the worship we had. It was just incredible. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. And I know there's like zillions of churches you guys could go to. And we want to thank you for choosing Dorsville to our regular folks and our family here. And of course to our guests today. Thank you for coming. And our prayer today is already you've received something. But even now as we go into the word that you'll receive something also. Well, you can see we're in a series that we've entitled The Peter Principle. And the, and the tagline is finding him, finding me. And that kind of has a double meaning. As we find Jesus in a new level, we're going to find ourselves. And also in Peter's life, the way he handles situations, um, as we find out about him, we're going to find out about ourselves. And boy, is that true um, today. So, so about, I think about... 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock today, you know, um, some coaches are going to be gathering in a locker room, and one's going to be the coach of Kentucky, and the other's going to be the coach of North Carolina, and um, don't want to want to hurt anybody's feelings about North Carolina, but I would probably definitely be a Cat fan before I'd be the North Carolina Tar Heels fan. I mean, it's way to... Good. All right. Yeah. Anybody who wears baby blue, come on. Hey, you know what I'm just saying. So, so anyway, and so the Kentucky coach is going to get in his locker room, and, and, you know, I don't know what he's going to say, but he's probably not going to go, well, now, guys, you know, just give it your best shot today. And if it turns out, it's okay. And I don't expect anything from you. You know, we've come this far. That's good enough. I don't, I don't know what he's going to say, but that's probably not it. I, I think he's probably going to challenge them to go 120% today to play their best game ever. And from the start of the clock to the last second ticks, ticks off, regardless of the score, to beat Kentucky and do the very, very best that they can. That's kind of what they're famous for in basketball, doing the very, very best that they can. Well, I want you to know that's kind of where I am today. Um, this is a very, I think, a very challenging message. It won't be warm and cuddly so don't expect that. I don't know if there's going to make you laugh one whole single time. I have no idea, but I know it's a challenging message. I know that because it spoke to my heart. As I prepared and studied today, this thing got a hold of my heart and gripped my heart and, and in a way broke my heart. And I'm praying the same thing. It's so funny. I love it when God works in mysterious ways. I was praying this morning, and I was praying the words of that song, Your Presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, Come and fill this atmosphere. And that was my prayer this morning. And then we sang those words. And it's my prayer today that as you came today, as you cared enough to get up and come to church this morning, that it won't just be something we do. It won't, we won't just fill a square on Sunday morning. That the presence of the Lord will be free here to work. And some of you, that might mean calling you to, to a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, you're here today and, and you don't know God as Father. And today He brought you here. And He's going to woo you and call you to His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work that He did on a Roman cross. For the rest of us, and there's only two, and I mean two types, the rest of us, it's going to be maybe a call to a deeper, uh, more rich commitment to Him. So that's what I've prayed for. In fact, I think we just need to pause and pray that right now. Can we do that? Let's pray. 
Hey, God, we thank you so much for the gift already you've given us. Thank you for the richness of the worship. Father, thank you for this wonderful song that my help comes from the Lord. And God, we understand that that, that, is, that is reasonable and expected in our relationship with you. So if there's someone here today or maybe listen on the radio who may be a very good person uh, in the eyes of society, uh, perhaps even go to church, but they have no relationship with you through Jesus Christ. May today be that day. And would you grip the hearts of each one of us today, challenge us, challenge us to walk closer to you. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see the rich truth of what Jesus says today. And then may we apply it to our lives. Thank you so much for every person who came today. And we ask God again, your blessings on their lives. And Jesus, I do pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, listen, you've, you've probably been a, you've probably been experienced this in your life. You've been a part of this. You know, you go into a store and the, and the outside of the store, it says something like this. It says, entire store on sale. Okay. Have you seen those signs before? And then you read the small print and it says some exclusions apply. And you're going, entire store exclusions apply. I, I love this one. This is on the billboard right now. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're supposed to mention trade names or not. But, but I was going to, I think, Lifeway maybe, you know. So I'm driving down the road there, Highway 13, toward Carterville. And there's a big old sign. And it says, Steak and Shake. All kids eat free all day. And I said, wow, what a good deal. And then in, in black letters against an almost black background, as you get closer, if you squint your eyes just right and hold your tongue to the left, you can see where it says, one $9 meal, I'm sorry, one free meal for every $9 spent. I'm going, well, that's not all kids eating free. You know, that doesn't work. Or, or perhaps you're sitting there and, and you, you, know, you see the commercials, the infomercials on TV. Just buy one happy cat comb and you get a second one free. Just pay second, ship, you know, second shipping and handling. Or perhaps it's this, you know, 90 days, same as cash. That's right, folks. Just go ahead and put that thing, put your name on the dotted line, and for 90 days, use the same as cash. But for goodness sake, don't miss one second of a payment because you're going to pay all the interest for the 90 days plus some. There's always those, those catches. Things are not as they always, we think they are or as they seem. And you know that's true spiritually. That's true spiritually. And the ramifications are a lot bigger you know, you hear things like this. Just pray this simple prayer and you're on your way to heaven. How many times have we said, listen, listen, you know, almost begging, just pray this prayer with me. Just pray this prayer. And again, you understand there's nothing wrong with a prayer except for when you tell a person they're going to heaven because they pray that prayer. Because per- people go to heaven not because they pray a prayer but because of faith in Jesus Christ and the experience of God's amazing grace. And those two are not the same. They're not the same. But we tell people that, that just pray the prayer and you're on your way. No mention of repentance. No, no mention of how we are, are depraved. We're sinners before a holy God. No mention about how the fact that Jesus Christ bled and died on a Roman cross experienced the wrath of God that we could have forgiveness of sins. But that's what we tell people. And they experience that and they kind of go, well, that didn't work out very well. And, and, then, and then the second one is, you know, just trust Jesus and everything goes your way. Pray a prayer and you're on your way to heaven and just trust Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything goes your way. You want a promotion? 
bam, you get a promotion. You want a new car, bam, you get a new car. You want to pass a test, forget studying, just praying, bam, everything goes your way. And you know what? That's just not how it works. You know, you trust Jesus and things go Jesus' way. Which, by the way, it's really a lot better. And then the third thing was, you know, um, hey, go ahead and sin. You know, go ahead and sin and pray later. How often do we go in life, you know, because we believe in grace and grace is a great thing, but we have a tendency to become grace abusers. So we'll sit there and we'll go, we'll know something's wrong. We'll know it's wrong. And we'll sit there and go, I can confess it later. And so whether it's lust or whether it's hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness or gluttony or whatever it is, we go ahead and do something we know is a sin on the pretext we know that tonight or tomorrow morning we can say, oops, God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, although you really did mean to do that. Now, here's the deal. First off, you need to understand something. All three of those things are not in the Bible. Nowhere does it teach in the Bible that just pray a prayer and you're on your way to heaven. Nowhere does it teach just trust Jesus and everything goes your way. And certainly nowhere in the Bible does it teach that go ahead and sin. After all, God understands and you can confess it later. Those things are just not in the Bible. But we hear them taught from pulpits too frequently today. And we see them lived out in people's lives too often in the world today. I think these, these miscon, the, I was going to say misconceptions, this, not misconceptions, misrepresentations of, of God and His Word lead to three things. One, one is it leads to a life of disappointment. Now let me tell you what I know. And you may not know this, but I know this because I'm a pastor and you guys know this too. Here's the deal. I ran across so many people who used to love God, who used to serve God, who used to do the God thing, and now they don't. And so often, if you get down to the root of it, they were disappointed. They were told one thing, and another thing happened. They were told if we pray, the person would be healed. If they just trust God, that they would get the job. And things don't happen, and you kind of go with, why serve God? Why pray? Because it sure isn't working for me. And we get disappointed in God. And that's not fair to God. And then it also leads to a lack of commitment. Not when, you get, when you get disappointed with God, before you drop out totally, there's this lack of commitment. Why do I want to commit time and energy and resources to something that's really not working for me? And the last thing, it leads to a low view of God. A low view of God. God becomes something, but He's not all-powerful. God becomes something, but he's not who he really is. And so these are things that can set us up for what we experience in Peter's life today. Do you remember last week? you remember last week? Last week was the great confession. You know, Jesus said, I, again, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but, but Jesus said, you know, he said, so, so here's the deal. Who do men say that I am? And somebody said, well, they, they think you're John the Baptist. And another person says, oh, they think you're Elijah. And, well, no, no, they think you're Jeremiah. And somebody else said, but you're one of the prophets. You know, all these things. And then Jesus asked this really important question. He said, well, who do you say that I am? Forget them. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Peter said, Peter said, we believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I remember saying last week, and it's still true, it's good. 
you know, it's, it's a valid statement. When Peter said that, every Jew, and particularly you might as well just use Jewish men, since Peter was a guy, and so every Jewish man was told when Messiah comes, he will be this victorious military king. He will be an overthrower. He'll, be a, uh, he'll lead Israel once again to prominence and power in the world. And so when, when Peter said... You know, looking through that lens, when Peter said, you are the Christ, in his mind, he's still thinking that. He's thinking, you know, Jesus, we left the boats and the nets because you're going to be the next military leader. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going you're to overthrow all the power that's wrong, all the things that are wrong in this world. And Israel, once again, will be free. And Israel will be your people like it ought to be again. He had these dreams and hopes. And there were good dreams and hopes. But when you look at the Messiah, when you look at Jesus through that lens, that was not what was going to happen. But that's what he expected because he'd been taught that from the time he was in the nursery down at the, uh, the first Hebrew church in Jerusalem. He'd been taught that. And so then Jesus comes along. And he starts speaking things that instead of being a dream fulfilled... To someone like Peter and someone like, if you've been taught, just pray a prayer and you're on your way to heaven. Just trust Jesus. Everything will go your way. You know, hey, go ahead and sin now because you can always confess it later. You know, easy grace, you know. In case you believe all those things, you've been taught that. That dream looks like a nightmare. That dream looks like a nightmare. So here's Peter come out the great confession. You are the Christ. You are the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams. And so Christ reveals who he is as a person. Now watch. Now he reveals his work. And it doesn't line up with what Peter is expecting. And I'm going to tell you something. Look at me. In today's world. In our world today, when Christ starts revealing who he is, it probably doesn't line up with our, our dreams, our dreams, and our hopes. But it's vitally important that we trust him anyway. Here's what Jesus says. We're in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 21. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. The great confession is now over. So Jesus says... Matthew writes and says, from that time, from that time, from the moment of the great confession, okay, from the moment of the great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, please, please help me, help me here. Look, Peter thinks victory. Peter thinks military power. Peter thinks Jesus is king. He's a prince. They're going to be rock stars. It's going to be the most popular movement in the world in the sense of victory on this earth. It was the most popular movement, but in the sense of victory on this earth. From that time... Jesus began to show. And it's really cool in the original language, in the Greek, it, it, it shows repeatedly. This isn't something Jesus did once. He did over and over again. I think because he knew how difficult it was going to be for the, for the guys to get a hold of this. Because it was so contrary to what, from what they were expecting. So repeatedly, he began to show his disciples that he must go. It was necessary. It was the reason he came. It was the mandate that he must go to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the place of confrontation. And, you know, are there any Braveheart fans here? You know, from the movie Braveheart? It's old now. 
But you remember when, when William Wallace was there and he's, he's fixing to ride out to, to confront the British and one of his guys go, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to pick a fight. Well, Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's going, if you will, to pick a fight. He is going to confront these leaders who hate him because the time has come for his sacrifice. So he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And this was not on their radar. They did not see this one coming anyway. In fact, I just see Peter going, did he say kill or kind? I'm going to Jerusalem. I've got to be kind. Now, that's the Jesus we know. It was hard. I mean, they, they were really expecting Jesus to just rule the world. And he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things. And he's going to be killed. And by the time they got to the last part and on the third day be raised, I mean, they didn't even hear that. They didn't even hear that. Peter's still going, did he say killed? How, how can he be king and be killed? How can he be Messiah and be killed? How can he be the promise, hope, and dreams and be killed? And Peter just couldn't get his arms around that. And guess what? We struggle with the same thing. Because often God's plan for us doesn't look like hopes and dreams. And when it doesn't look like hopes and dreams, and it happens, we go, this can't be right. You know, did I mislearn something? Did I misunderstand something, God? And so Peter was like totally confused. And that's where it comes to us. And you understand now, verse 22, exactly why it happened because Peter didn't get it. And so he says these words, and Peter took him aside, literally pulled him aside, and began to rebuke him. And again, in the, in the original language, it means to reject the truth. Peter is rejecting truth. Like some of you today are going, when I said, just trust Jesus, and everything will go your way, somebody rejected that truth and said, so no, that, that can't, you know, that, that's true. It's got to be true. You, you mean, you mean I'll just pray a simple prayer and you're on your way to heaven? You know, you, you push that back. You push back from that. Well, Peter is full-blown pushing back. In fact, he says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, here's Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, ultimately. And, and here's the teacher, the rabbi. And he's saying, look, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer. I've got to be killed. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. And Peter says, no. No. Anybody told God no before? You know? No. No. Well, Peter did. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, now, why did he say that? I really think there are two reasons. One is, he loves Jesus. I mean, he's walked with Jesus now about two years. A little bit more than two years. So he's watched him. He's, he's grown in love with this man named Jesus. It was a deep, deep friendship. And the thought of him going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying grieves Peter. So he says, Jesus, no, I love you too much. But also, I think Peter would say, not only do I love you, I love me. I love me. Because you see, if they take the shepherd, the sheep are next. You know... The world will hate you, Jesus said. Do you remember why? Because they hated me. The world would hate you because they hated me. And Peter's going, wait a minute. If they're going to kill Jesus, 
what are they going to do with those of us who said we love Jesus? And he was right. They would try to kill him. So you see Peter's conflict here. And what's funny is, is, you know, Jesus wasn't surprised, I don't think, because he had heard these words before. He wasn't surprised when Peter said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And you know why? Because he heard the words before, not exactly the same, but the same meaning. He heard it in Matthew chapter 4. This is before there was a Peter called to follow Jesus, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's right after the baptism of Jesus, and Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of Satan. And so number two temptation is this. I'll read it to you. So the devil took him, Jesus. Read, the devil pulled him aside. Remember Peter pulled Jesus aside? The devil, the devil pulls him aside to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So the devil gets Jesus up on a hill, a very high mountain, and says, look around, Jesus. And from there, perhaps supernaturally, he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And here's what, what Satan says in verse 9. He said to him, I will give you all these things. If you will fall down and worship me. Does that sound a little bit familiar with Peter? You know, you, know, you don't have to do the cross. I tell you what, you want to be a king? I can make you a king. Do you see all these kingdoms? They are mine to give. And I forget the cross. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And all you've got to do, and this is so true in the Greek. Again, in the Greek it says, this is like a one-time deal. All you have to do, Satan says, Jesus, is fall down and worship me. There's no one here but me and you. I'm not asking you to do it in front of everybody. Just fall down and worship me. I'll make you a king. You want to be a king? I'll make you a king. All you've got to do is worship me. Jesus Peter would say, you've come to be a king. Now, are you listening real good? Satan pulls this trick on us. You need to know this. Students, you need to know this. I mean, he will sit there, students, and he'll tell you this. He'll say, you want to be popular at school? I'll make you popular at school. You want to be the president of the student council? I'll make you president of the student council. Do you want to be the captain of the football team? I can make you captain of the football team. All you have to do is what? Fall down and worship me. Satan will promise anything to get our allegiance and our loyalty. And that's what he said to Jesus. You want to be a king? I can make you a king. All you have to do is worship me. We, we, don't, we really don't understand this. I, over, over 17 years, and particularly in the last probably eight or nine years since we've had this Roman cross here, time and again I've shared with you the agony of the cross. I'm sure to some degree it's almost lost its power because we share it so frequently. But this is two things. A Roman, soul, a Roman, Roman citizen could never be crucified. It was not allowed. The agony and shame of the cross was so great, Romans were not crucified. In fact, in fact, in polite society, 
the word crucifixion was not used. That's how terrible this was. That's how horrible this was. And Jesus endured that because he loved us so much. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to die on this Roman cross. To avoid the cross would be a lot easier. So what did Jesus respond? Hey, as long as I become a king, that's all that matters. As long as I become president of the council, that's all that matters. As long as I become the captain of the football team, that's all that matters. As long as I become the president of the corporation, that's all that matters. As long as I have popularity in the community, that's all that matters. As long as I get my toys in society, that's all that matters. As long as I get the titles, that's all that matters. Well, you know what Jesus said? In verse 10, he said, Go away, Satan. Good advice. Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. He basically said to Satan, I don't care about your easy path. What's important to me is obeying my Father. What a great response for us today. I don't care what Satan promises you. Tell him to go away. Because you've got one God not to. You've got one God. You've got one Savior. You've got one Lord. You've got one King. Go away. Well, how is he going to respond to Peter? Well, look, we're back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. So he turned and said to Peter, Now keep in mind, just just day, two days before, you are the Christ. Jesus says to Peter... Get behind me, Satan. In Matthew 4, go away, Satan. Here he says it this way. Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are literally a stumbling block to me. Keep in mind, Jesus did not come to be the earthly king. He did not become just to be the benevolence person he was. He came to die for the sins of the entire world. And anything that would keep him from that Roman cross, he counted as a stumbling block, as a hindrance. So he says to Peter, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can I read that to you one more time? I know it's only... Take take a moment, read it while I read it. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's the crux of the matter. As Christ followers, we've got to reach that point where our single-mindedness is is that we focus on the things of God and not the things of man. And again, I look at you, you students here, and you've got so much of your lives ahead of you. And here you are in this, this time when you're trying to choose, what am I going to do with my life? It's huge. And if you're, you're sitting here and you're, you're 20 years old, 21 years old, maybe 22, and you're graduating from college. And you kind of go, what am I going to do with my life? Perhaps college is in your rearview mirror, but you're still starting your career. And you kind of go, what am I going to do with my life? It's a huge, huge question. And we have to answer that question and determine how we're going to answer It's huge. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? So, the Bible says, after saying you are a hindrance, 
and you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, we've got to determine what our mindset's going to be. The things of the world are the things of God. Our things are God's things. Patrick Morley says this, There is a God we... Excuse me. There is the God we want and the God that is, and they are not the same. There is the God that we want and the God that is, and they are not the same. If we're like Peter in this situation, then we want to focus on the God we want. The God who says everybody gets to go to heaven. The God who says, trust me and you'll always get what you want. Or there's the God who is and says, I am God and you're not. Trust me. Trust me. I'm a benevolent, loving father. Trust me to do the right thing. Well, he goes on and says this. He says in verse 24, and this, he, just, he just won't stop. He won't let up. He won't relent. Verse 24. So Jesus told his disciples, here's the deal. If anyone would come after me, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to be a Christ follower, then you must deny yourself. I know you've heard these scriptures so many times. It just simply means this, surrender. It's an unconditional surrender. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, you've got to be willing to wave the white flag and you've got to surrender. You've got to surrender your hopes and dreams. You've got to surrender your aspirations. You've got to surrender your children, your careers, your power, your authority. I like the way Andy Stanley says sometimes, he says, we've got to choose to power down instead of powering up. You've got to... You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up the cross. I read this this morning or last night, and I said, oh my gosh, that's so clear and good. You know, what would happen is, you know, the major major cause of crucifixions in, in this area was rebellion. You rebelled against Rome, and they crucified you. They nailed you to a cross. If you think about it, that's really Jesus was rebelling against religious decision. That's how he, uh, institution, and that's how he ended up on the cross. Well, besides the divine plan of God. So, so you take this rebel, this person that would try him, and he would be a criminal of Rome, and he was in, in the state of rebellion against Rome. And so they would force him to carry his cross through town and up to the place of execution. And here's what was happening while he was carrying this cross. He was saying by carrying the cross, I am, under, I am submissive and under the authority to which I previously rebelled. I am submissive and under the authority of the, of the person or the institution I previously rebelled against. So when he carried that cross, he was, they were saying, Rome is right and I'm wrong. Rome is right and I'm wrong. Well, when Jesus says, take up your cross... Ladies, that's not your husband. I don't know why he married him, you would say. But I guess it's my cross to bear. You've got three children, and you're saying we should have stopped at two. But I guess it's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about, nor is it true. He is saying that we submit and come under the authority of the one which we previously rebelled against. Before we met Jesus, we rebelled against God. 
And when he says take up the cross, he's saying you are telling everyone you are submissive and under the authority of new leadership. And that new leadership is Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You totally surrender. You carry the cross and you follow him. Now, have you figured out yet where it says just trust Jesus and everything will go your way? That doesn't line up with that very well. In fact, you know what? I, I got the thing. I said, you know, if we could call up the past, you'd have a hard time convincing. You know, Judas obviously hung himself and he was not a believer. But the 11 guys that were left, the 11 guys, all of them were martyred except one. And that was John. He was exiled to an island. He got voted to the island. And he uh, died at age 90 in exile. So you'd have a hard time convincing Peter and James and all those other guys how that, hey, just trust Jesus and let go your way. Because it just sure didn't happen for them. In fact, read your New Testament. It didn't happen for hardly anybody. That's a Western culture deal. It's a Western culture deal. So he goes on verse 25. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you live, if you live for you, you're going to lose your life. If you live for you, you're going to lose your life. If you live for him, you'll save your life. I'm not sure all that that means. Can I just be honest with you? I'm not sure what all that means. But I'm pretty sure it means at least this. You know, Jesus said, when he said, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, in John chapter 10, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The literal translation of that means this, I have come that you may have the life that is really life. And I think Jesus is saying that if you'll give your life for me, you'll 